Well, it is a blessing to be able to celebrate children and the blessing that God gives us through children. And obviously, it is a privilege anytime we get to do something like that. Uh, as a part of that, they'll also receive a Bible and a certificate and some other things that just go along with baby dedications. But realize it is more than just a ritual. I think sometimes we get lost in that. Uh, I've had individuals contact me from outside the church and they'll say, well, you know, I've, I've got a baby, so I want to have my baby baptized or christened or dedicated. And while I appreciate the opportunity that I have to share with those families in that moment, if it is only a ritual and they miss out on the real purpose of this. This is a declaration that this child belongs to God, and I want to do whatever it takes to honor God. Now, before I get into my message this morning, I want to offer a little bit of a unique address. Before I start, I feel the need to address something that has become more and more significant. As we have watched the news over the past several weeks, most of us have become increasingly aware of this coronavirus. Now, I don't know if it's as bad as some people want us to think. I also don't know if it's as under control as other people want us to think. But I do know that there are some things that we can all do to help protect one another. This is not, the, the pulpit is not the place where I should have to address this, but I feel like sometimes there are things you have to say, whether it makes people uncomfortable or not, and it's okay. Most of this stuff is... Uh, things that we ought to be doing anyways. For example, good hygiene is not something that you should be starting now just because there is an illness in the area. I shouldn't have to say this from the pulpit, but if you go to the bathroom, please wash your hands. We are a hugging church and a handshaking church. I do not want your germs from you going to the bathroom, so please wash your hands. And don't be afraid to stop, stop by one of the hand sanitizer things that we have mounted on the walls throughout the building here. That's why they're here. That's why they are in place. That's why we keep them full. I know that when I go to the hospital, I feel like I am being infected by everything. So I stop at every one of those little hand sanitizer things and I use it over and over again throughout that hospital visit. It's okay if you use it too much. We're not going to fuss at you for that. Basically, what it comes down to is I'm asking you to make sure that you're doing the things you need to to keep other people from getting sick. The other thing that I want to remind you of is that if you are sick, it is okay to stay at home. I do appreciate your eagerness to be in church, and it is a blessing that you want to be here. But you can participate in the services online if you have to. You can hear the music, you can even hear the sermon, you can even participate in giving. I know that it's not the same. I love being able to participate in the fellowship of the body of Christ. But if you are sick, the last thing you want to do is to get everybody else sick. So please use your head when it comes to viruses. I, I will say that when it comes down to it, this is not something that we need to start now just because of the fact that there is a serious illness that is taking place. Uh, recognize this is stuff you ought to be doing anyways. Um, sharing is caring, but not when we're talking about germs. Uh, it's okay to stay home. All right, enough of the lecture. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just felt like I needed to share that. I want to get into God's Word, so I'm going to invite you, if you would, to turn in the Gospel of John 
to chapter 19. We're going to read a relatively long passage, and it mirrors what I already read to you uh, during our scripture time earlier. As we read this, it's, a, a, it's one of the versions of the gospel story. Uh, and of course, as we head into our Easter season, beginning today, this will set the stage for everything else that we look at over the next several weeks. The theme of this series is entitled The Shadow of the Cross, as we see the impact of the cross on each individual's life. So again, we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. We're going to begin reading today in verse 13. And I know that not everybody has a new revised standard version, but I really like the way it was worded. So my whole sermon today is coming from the NRSV. Uh, And this is how it's worded in there. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which is in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross, It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but this man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says, they divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the, disciples took her in, the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, In order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You know, shadows are a unique thing in that they bring with them some incredible extremes. At times, they can be the greatest blessing in the world. I remember being in Haiti, stuck at a job site in the middle of the day, 
and the temperature was right around 100 degrees. The higher the sun got in the sky, the less shade that we had to work with. But you can be sure that we did everything we could to stay in the shade as long as possible. The shadows can be a blessing, or it can be a very scary thing. For example, check out how this scary shadow uh, affects somebody. I just thought that was rather funny. Truthfully, I was looking for an excuse to use that in a sermon. Shadows can create and often a lot of fear. When I say that a shadow can be scary, I'm referring to the fact that often in the shadows, the worst of people can be revealed. In essence, what I'm saying is that shadows can bring relief and fear. Shadows can highlight or they can hide. Shadows can protect you when you are on the run and expose you when all else is light. Well, the shadow of the cross does all of this. Something about the cross helps us to see truth and maybe even to see truth within our own lives. The scriptures speak of shadows in a variety of different contexts. Psalm chapter 11, verse 2, describes the shadows as a place of God's protection. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Isaiah 32, verse 2, speaks of shadows as a means of relief. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. The shadows can also become a place of fear. We read in Matthew 4:16 that the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. There's also a sense of how shadows highlight, reveal, and even expose what might otherwise go unnoticed. For example, let's consider those who stood around the cross on the day of Christ's crucifixion. One of them wasn't really standing there at the cross, but rather his name is synonymous with the story of the cross. The easiest one to look at in this story is, of course, Pontius Pilate. I guess he's the one who officially determines Jesus' fate on the cross. He is the one with the authority. But let's not forget two very important things. He's kind of an easy target here for us to talk about. The Jews already had very low expectations for him. Pilate was one who represented everything that they hated, the Roman authority oppressed the people of Israel. The Jewish people looked on him with disgust. They had no high expectations for who he might be. And in a shocking way, the shadow of the cross actually reveals his reluctant participation in condemning an innocent man. You can be sure that there was no love lost between Pilate and the religious leaders of his day. He knows that what they're doing is likely wrong, and a big part of him wants to set Jesus free. Now, whether this was because of compassion for Jesus, 
or because he didn't like the religious leaders is up for debate. Truthfully, I don't know that it really matters. I'm not sure that you would have looked at Pilate as one who was compassionate toward Jesus. But either way, if we were to have read that entire passage, it actually tells us that he sought to have Jesus set free so that he would not die. But what the shadow of the cross reveals about Pontius Pilate is that perhaps he wasn't as bad a guy as he has often been made out to be. Early in ministry, I had a longtime pastor share a few words of encouragement with me. He said, never believe your own press clippings. He said, you're never as good as other people think you are. And you're also never as bad as other people think you are. Certainly, this would be true of Pontius Pilate. He still concedes and he agrees to have Jesus crucified. In the passage we just read, he handed him over to be crucified. But he at least tried to make things right along the way. Maybe he wasn't as bad as everybody else thought that he was. Of course, this is useless information if you can't also apply it to your life. So let me encourage you for a moment in a personal way. Maybe you've developed a bad reputation. People expect very little of you. You're not a good person. Maybe you've just resigned yourself to the fact that that's who you are and that's the way you're always going to be. There's nothing you can do about it. Or perhaps you wear it almost as a badge of honor because you're proud of your tough appearance. Y'all know that I love football. I like other sports too, but I really love football and that I previously lived in the Philadelphia area. I've talked with so many Philadelphia fans who will brag about how mean their fan base really is. They love the fact that they have developed this reputation. It is a badge of honor. I've been to games in their stadium while wearing a Carolina Panthers jersey where people have thrown beer at us and tried to pick fights with us for absolutely no reason except the fact that I was wearing an opposing team's jersey, even when it's just me and at the time my four-year-old son. The pinnacle of their ugliness is found in an incident several years ago when Santa Claus made an appearance right after a snowstorm. The fans began to pelt him with snowballs, some supposedly with batteries inside of them. They wear this image of ugliness with pride. But I want you to know that you are never as bad as other people may think you are. You don't have to be defined by those ugly things for the rest of your life. At the end of the day, out of weakness and fear, Pilate still has Jesus crucified. But you can choose to be different from what other people think you are. You don't have to live up to the standard they expect of you. You can choose to be different. The shadow of the cross revealed that Pilate may not have been as bad as he thought. And maybe there was still hope that God might redeem him as well. Can you relate to that? There's another group that is exposed at the cross in our story today, although they are not really highlighted in the Gospel of John. 
If you would, turn to Matthew 27 for a moment. It's the passage that I read earlier, verse 35 through 44, and it just gives us a different view of the crucifixion. Matthew 27, verse 35 through 44, says this, And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he wants to. For he said, I am God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him, in the same way. I just got to stop. This isn't a part of my sermon, but that phrase, if he wants to, is such a joke to me. There is no question whether the father wanted to be able to redeem his son from that cross. But the father knew that what his son was doing on that cross was what all of humanity needed to have happen. It is so easy for us in our own understanding to assume of what God wants to do. But God knew that what needed to happen was his son to pay the price for our sins. Today we rejoice over that. The group that I want to consider for a moment is not the soldiers that we just read about. Although the shadow of the cross does reveals something about them as well, as they had become so hard-hearted, likely because they saw crucifixions quite often. In fact, this would have been just another day in Jerusalem. They would have seen this as an ordinary thing because they did it all the time. Instead, I want us to consider what the shadow of the cross reveals about the religious leaders here. They are an extreme contrast to Pontius Pilate. Both are absolutely people of influence, but one is hated by the people of Israel. I'm not going to say that the religious leaders were loved by the people of Israel, but it would seem that they were at least somewhat respected. They both are in positions of authority, while there are, they are the ones who wield power over the Jews, and that's why Pilate tolerates the religious leaders. Realizing that if he keeps them happy, then there will be peace in the region. But the real contrast comes in the idea that they were respected by many among the Jews. Again, not necessarily by all. They were supposed to be the religious leaders, suggesting that they are probably good, godly people. Although Jesus had already exposed some of that to be a lie. But it didn't mean that they no longer had influence. Consider who it was that led the crowd in crying out, crucify him. The religious leaders begin to shout, away with him, 
crucify him. And as they speak, they stir the people up into a frenzy. And the next thing you know, the entire crowd seems to join in in a familiar chorus, crucify him, crucify him. But it began with them. Clearly, they are still people of influence. And then you have what happens at the cross. Look again at verses 41 to 43. It says, In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants to. For he said, I am God's son. First, let me say that this story would have been so much cooler if Jesus had actually responded to their taunting by coming down off of the cross. Can you imagine Jesus hanging there and suddenly the nails that have been driven so far into the wooden cross, suddenly the nails begin to fall out from his hands and his feet, dropping to the ground with Jesus slowly descending to the earth. Or can you imagine if suddenly those mocking Jesus looked over their shoulder only to see winged creatures hovering with swords drawn? That would have been fun to watch. Well, maybe not. But to tell you the truth, I think it's an amazing thing that Jesus stayed on the cross with the mocking that he experienced. Jesus doesn't come down from the cross even though he knew he could have. The fact is, everything is held together by the power of God, which means that even those nails, he could have caused them to crumble. That cross that he hung on was something that Jesus himself made and allowed to exist. Jesus could have come down from that cross at any point, but he doesn't. He stays there, willingly sacrificing his life so that all of humanity could be forgiven of their sin. But consider the extreme contrast between these religious leaders and the man hanging on the cross. In the midst of his suffering and punishment, that passage said, they mocked him, hurling insults at him using his own words against him. Their goal was to humiliate a man who was already being humiliated. As they did so, Jesus prayed for them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. In this moment... The shadow of the cross reveals that these religious leaders are not who they claim to be. Instead, they're on the opposite side of it. Some may have respected them simply because of their title or because of their apparent righteousness or supposed goodness. But the truth is that they aren't good at all. In the midst of a man's brokenness, while he is already suffering, they are mocking him. They are filthy inside. They might have had clean robes and looked righteous and they had the part. Everybody would look and say, those are the religious leaders just by what they wore, what they look like. But on the inside, they are filthy. Consider the words of the Lord spoken to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. 
For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Oh, how I fear that there are many in the church who know how to look the part. They appear spiritual, knowing what to say and what to do. They may even be able to quote various scriptures, or they may hold positions of influence. Yet in the shadow of the cross, their sin is exposed. They look the part on Sundays but their hearts are truly not filled with love or compassion. They're certainly not being the hands and feet of Jesus. In case you didn't get it, the application here is that we must evaluate who we really are. Don't ask yourself what other people think of you. Ask whether the Lord is pleased with you. Remember that You are never as bad as other people think you are, but you are also never as good as other people think you are. So what needs to change in you? There's one more group that we find in the shadow of the cross. As we find this group, it reveals another group that is strangely absent at the shadow of the cross. Going back to our original passage back in John chapter 19, look at it again with me beginning in verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. We've talked about those whose goodness or evil were exposed at the cross. Now consider the family and the friends. Those who genuinely approached the cross out of love for the Lord. They knew that there was a risk associated with it. They might be identified as one of Jesus' followers. And as they choose to be identified as such, there was a risk that they could be next. We know that later on the disciples would go into hiding. They would lock themselves in a room, fearful that someone might come after them. We know that the night of Jesus' arrest, Peter was afraid to admit that he even knew who Jesus was because he was afraid he might be next. Yet at the cross, we see individuals who chose to be there because they were so in love with the one who hung on the cross. I wonder... Where were all the people who shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king the previous week? Where were all the people who surrounded Jesus every time he taught, who greeted him at every village that he approached, wanting him to display his power to do miraculous works for them? Maybe some of them were there. Maybe some of the disciples were there. Maybe these were individuals that, maybe they're simply too afraid to let people know that they loved Jesus. There were some that the shadow of the cross revealed how much they did love the Lord. There were some that the shadow of the cross revealed how little they loved the Lord. My question is, what will the shadow of the cross reveal in you?
not when you want something. In that moment of crisis, we all come seeking the Lord. We all come looking for him to be there for us, to provide for us, to meet this need. My family's falling apart. God, I need your help. The doctor gave me a bad report. I need your help. There's not enough money in the bank. I need your help. In those moments, we know we need Jesus. So we come looking for him. We come to the cross then. But what happens after the crisis is gone? I love the fact that even when we come to the cross, maybe with less than perfect motives, Jesus is still at the cross. He is faithful. He will be there for us. But what happens after the crisis is over? As the shadow of the cross falls on you, will you be one that is there because you love him more than life itself? Or will you be gone? Will you be absent? As I share this today, my hope is not for you to in any way um, feel like I'm judging other people. That's not what the hope is. Actually, my hope today is that we will simply evaluate our own hearts and recognize the need for us to make sure that our hearts are right with the Lord. The shadow of the cross speaks to us, and it ought to reveal something about us. What does it reveal about you today? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are so grateful for the cross. We're grateful for the one who died on the cross. And as we celebrate your loving and willing sacrifice, I pray today that you would evaluate our hearts. Or maybe we're not as good as other people think we are. Maybe we're not as bad as other people think we are. I pray today that you would be pleased with what you see in us. And if you are not, I pray that you would change who we are. Help us to come before you, not because we need something, but simply because we love you. Father, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts today. As we participate in a celebration of the Lord's Supper today, I pray that you would help us to do so in a manner that is worthy of your honor. If there be one in here today that perhaps they need to address sin issues, I pray that right now they would do so, so that they can come before you today and truly be able to celebrate what you did for them. Father, I pray that these elements, these common, ordinary elements, bread and grape juice, I pray that to us today they would become so much more. Remind us of your sacrifice your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, so that we might have eternal life. Help us today to live in a way that honors that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I have several individuals who are going to come and they're going to help me serve communion.